Welcome to Scholarship Provider Coffee Talks, a podcast for funders to listen and learn from their peers. In this episode, we're talking about post-award documentation, communication, and best practices. The first voice we are going to hear is Elise Brayton, who was the webinar moderator. We are so excited to be talking about today's topic. I know for me, this is one of those things that, those topic areas that, oh my gosh, I have learned so much from my peers um, when it comes to how to interact with students after that point of award, because there's so much back and forth that still needs to happen. And students, a lot of times, they're just like, yay, I got a scholarship, and then they kind of drop off the face of the earth. So it can be a bit of a process to keep that communication going. And um, that is exactly what we're here to talk about today. We want to hear not just what works, but also what doesn't work. And what types of things are you asking students to provide to you? So I think it'll be a really great conversation today. I'm super excited to have it with you all. So please uh, go ahead and raise those hands, tell us about why your foundation does what it does, and maybe um, give us a little insight into what that looks like for you. I'm Anna Rich. I'm with Youth Foundation. We give scholarships to, we award them to high school seniors, and they're renewable for four years. So our continued communication um, is because at, at the end of each year, our current scholars uh, they have to, in effect, reapply. It's not an extensive application process. They're not, it's not as extensive as the initial application process, but they have to send us a copy of their transcript so that we can see that they are meeting our GPA requirement, which is a 3.0, that they've been mm-hmm. enrolled full time. If there's an, it, it doesn't mean there's no room for exceptions or that we don't, you know, work with students, but that's, that's the general requirement. So they've got to fill out a form and actually right now, the reason I was really looking forward to this talk is because we've always done it through paper and we've mailed form oh. in February. And this is the first year that I'm trying to steer away from that. So I'm in the process of looking at the form. We usually send them a two page form that they fill out to make sure we have their updated address, their parents, contact information, all of that, a list of all of their scholarships. And then they get a form that's signed by their financial aid officer that says, this is how much of aid that our school has given them. This is what their cost of attendance is. And we've got to make sure there's a gap in the middle so that our aid is actually needed. Um, but it's, it's an arduous yeah. process and it's, it takes months. We send it in February and in July, we still have stragglers and people who can't meet up with their financial aid officer or the kids today, they don't even use paper. So right now we are, I'm in the process of figuring out what's the best way to gather the essential information and do it all electronically. And what even is the essential information, which is an important question. Gosh, I love all of the questions that you pose. This is the perfect context for our conversation today. So what what is the documentation that is required or or really needed, and how do you do do that online? I mean, I think we would all love to move online, just like you're saying. If you're not already doing renewals online, we'd love to get there. So yeah, I know that we have people on the 
on the call right now that have some really great solutions to this. And I know this because I see your names up here and I know that you have solutions in place. So please uh, raise your hand. Let's see if we can get some ideas going for Anna. And I'm sure for the countless others who are looking at this same um, piece right now. Hi, Anna. Uh, I was just listening to what you were saying and uh, marveling at how similar our situations are, um, except we do our renewals electronically. So would definitely love to connect with you if you want any sort of advice on that end. But um, my name is Alexandra Boyle. I work for the Community Foundation for Palm Beach and Martin Counties. Um, we do grants and scholarships and I work on half-time both. Um, so for our scholarships, I also was in that last bucket on, we have a lot of uh, post, like before and after funding communication for the same reason as Anna, because we will award a student a multi-year grant, but in order for that to get um, completely dispersed to them, they have to submit what we call a renewal form. And that includes like, you know, give us their transcript to, you know, to prove that they're continuing to get the GPA that we require, making sure we see their class schedule so that they get the amount of credits we require. And we also ask for, um, each time we ask for their financial aid letter and their cost of attendance and we do the same thing minus cost of attendance minus financial aid is their gap and if they don't have a gap then we can defer their award but um, I guess the thing that would be helpful for you to know is we do it digitally through a platform called Kaleidoscope um, they we started using them because of our um, awarding process so that's where students actually submit the applications and we award them through that. And then we also just now started using them for renewals as well. But we actually did look into potentially using Foundant for it too. And that was before my time, but I think Foundant is a solution as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I know there's lots of uh, clients that we definitely have who use follow-ups um, or restricted processes to handle their renewal um, for those students that get those multi-year awards. I thank you so much for that list, Alexandria, of the transcript, the class schedule, the financial aid award letter, and the cost of attendance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I guess... That's probably oh, really standard. Yeah, and so those are, those are the four that we collect. And then we also ask um, optionally but strongly required for like a thank you letter slash an update letter, especially for the students who have multi-year funds. Um, we forward those to the donor and it's really nice for our donors to, you know, the donors who are potentially still alive and or the funds who have advisors or whatever. It's really nice for them to see the progress of their students year after year. And we write, you know, please don't write the same letter, like give us an update on how you're doing. Um, so yeah, I guess that also falls into the after award communication, like just asking for an update on how they're doing. That's great. Yeah, I love that. And so those updates you ask for at the same time that they're renewing or do you ask mm -hmm. them for that? No, it's, it's within time? the renewal form. Yeah. So we, we just do like one renewal form and similar to Anna's situation, it is open um, I think we open it in July and we close it in October. So it's open for months and we still get people submitting it at the last minute. We still get stragglers. So I think a big thing that I've learned in this role is it's, it's really about, uh, working with the students. You know, I think a question later is, you know, how, when do you call it quits and who do you cancel? But we really try to, uh, work with them and understand what's going on. I mean, a lot of the students sometimes have family issues and they have to drop out of school or they have to put school on hold for a semester. So we try to be really understanding 
um, in one part of our policy that we, you know, we've coded in to be understanding is we allow our students to defer, um, AKA put their scholarship on hold for up to two full years. So, you know, if they have an issue where they're not in school or they're not taking enough credits or potentially they have enough funding for the first two years of their school, but they need it for the next two years to stay in school, um, we allow that as well. That's great. Those flexible scholarships are gold for students because you never know what's going to come up. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, that's awesome. So I'd love to hop into our next question, which is really surrounded uh, surrounds this question of documentation. What are the different things that you ask of um, from students? And it could be at the point of renewal. It could be to confirm something after the point of award. So, um, you know, definitely want to hear from people about all of those things. We collect a photo and permission to publish that. So, normally you don't make money on scholarships. You don't even break even. You'll lose money on scholarships. So, for us to spend staff time collecting all this documentation, doing all this financial need, we don't do any financial need um, because that's, it, it, it's a subjective term. So we're really fortunate. We ask them for their high school transcripts or college transcripts on the application. We believe what they say. And once they're approved for a scholarship, we do everything through funded. It's all done through follow-up forms. Um, and if they have recurring scholarships and they need to put in their transcripts, they all do it through funded. All of the communication is automatic. And we don't really have a whole lot of students who don't respond unless it's a really low dollar value scholarship. So basically, okay, so you have a high percentage of students who, when they, that's great. You have a high percentage of students, Sarah, that when they get those emails from you, you have them trained that they need to get you whatever it is that they asked for. But you're asking for some very simple, basic things. Um, and it doesn't sound like you're asking multiple times a year. It's just kind of once you got the, the uh, award out, you asked for that photo and and the the uh, permission to publish and and that's about it well where are you going to school and, and okay. that's about it yep okay so you have them confirm their college or university of attendance but they don't need to provide documentation of that you take you take your word their word on it because they want the funding right so they're gonna no use to them to get you the wrong university. Correct. And their student ID. So where are you going to school? What's your student ID? Attach a photo. Agree to these terms. That's pretty much it. And the application and all the, fo the follow-up forms, they're all have automatic emails through Fondant. And so I would say we probably are in contact automatically with every scholarship recipient three times before 
the, in, the deadline to submit that information with us. And it's all automatic. Okay. So we're not using right. staff time to do that. Right, so staff only gets involved if the student clicks reply to one of those emails and it goes, that, those replies and found it go into your Outlook inbox and then you can manage those replies as needed, right? Correct. Or we only get involved if they're not responding. If they haven't done what you've asked them to do, if they haven't submitted those forms that you've requested. Correct, if our deadline passes, if we haven't heard from them, then you know we'll start doing things like making a phone call. But at that point, you know what? We've talked to them or we've communicated with them at least three times. If they don't want the scholarship, they're done. Because there are people who do want it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I hear this. Um, I apologize for my tone of voice. <laughs> but I've been doing this for almost 20 years. And you know what, you give students all this leeway and it just is more staff time. Yeah, scholarships are one of the most time consuming types of grant making that a foundation can do because of the volume. And that's something that, you know, I think doesn't get talked about nearly enough, but the volume of scholarships can just really weigh down a staff. Uh, yeah, so I think your approach definitely speaks to that. You know, you don't want your staff just in the weeds of scholarships um, for as long as they could be if you were doing really high-touch awarding. Right, I would much rather have scholarship staff that are working with the student to communicate to the donor or staff communicating with the donor. Here's the photo, here's a story about what your student is doing. Rather than, you know, who's working with the financial aid office, whose mom is calling, blah, blah, blah. All right, thanks, Sarah. Hi, it's Cynthia Roney. I'm with the International Grenfell Association. We do scholarships and bursaries in northern Newfoundland and coastal Labrador. So our setup, I guess, is a little bit different. Um, we have one and a half staffers. I don't know if any of the others are on the line. Uh, one of the things that we struggle with is getting information about the financial status of our applicants. Um, we don't work with a scholarship office. That's not, so we wind up having to look for information from parents directly, and we're currently using tax forms. I don't know if anybody else has to do that. Uh, when it comes to keeping up with kids after they're in the program, we get permission to work with them through social media. I think we find it also spreads the word about the program, and that's been very helpful. So we've been using Facebook and Instagram. And what else? Uh, we typically get a principal letter as part of the application process. Okay, I think that's great. And I love that you are moving into social media to communicate with students. That's, I think that's great. I'm really interested to hear if more people um, are going that route um, and kind of where the relevant social media platform is right now for students of that age. Um, so one question I do have for you is you did note that you were um, working with getting parent uh, financial information 
directly from the student. So, uh, and, and I think some of that, um, because of your location, um, your uh, funding in Canada, I just think I heard that, but I want to yes. confirm that that is, okay, yep, so, uh, you know, there are some ways of getting kind of at that information here in the States that might be a little bit different, but what has been your experience with uh, parents being open to providing that information? Um, do they get it to you timely, in a complete manner, all of those things? You know, what I'd love to do is, is pass the ball to Paul Canning, who is on this call. He's saying that the line is a little bit difficult, but if he could speak to that, that would be great. He's our, our staff person in charge of this. You will hear me? Hey, Paul. We can. Hi, Paul. I'm sorry. I have very bad reception. It's a stormy day here again today, so perhaps why you can't hear me very well. Uh, what we've basically done to uh, address that issue is our deadline for bursaries is February 28th, actually next week. Uh, that's the deadline for students to apply, be they come from you know, high schools or already enrolled in post-secondary. And what we've done is we've made that information a required question on the application form so that they can't submit their application unless the information is provided. Uh, in, and in Canada, it's, it's a certain line on our tax uh, uh, tax forms from the previous year. So unless they provide that information up front, they can't submit the application as a required question. Okay, so Paul, I've got a follow-up for you, and that is, do you just have them input that number, the information, or are you also requiring, requiring an both. upload yes. of that form as documentation? Both. They input the number so that oh. we can run reports on it on, on the back end if we so choose. And they also mm -hmm. have to uh, upload the required tax assessment forms from the Canada Revenue Agency. All right, that is great to know. And I think that's a great strategy um, for those folks working in the States who are requiring an estimated family contribution um, as required by the FAFSA to have it be something that is entered and something that there is documentation uploaded. That combination, uh, at least in Foundit, really helps so that you can run, as you said, reporting on the back end to uh, pull out some, some really interesting information on your applicants and your awardees. Thank you for that, uh, folks, that was just great. Do we have more folks with their hands raised? Hi, I'm Ashley, I work at College Bound, where a, um college access program in DC. Um, so since our students, we work with them in high school, and then when they're in college, we work with them to make sure they graduate. So they're still a part of a mentoring program. They just have a virtual mentor. So we do, require, um, we do require more from them than if we were just to give them a scholarship. So we ask the students to complete an action plan. So it's a template. Um, it looks over like your classes from last year, what were your challenges or last semester? Um, what can you do next semester to avoid those pitfalls? It does have some sensitive questions. It'll say like, um, just check off, you know, if you're dealing with anxiety or stress or sexual assault, things like that. And we've actually, um, the students have actually checked that also. That's something that we could follow up and make sure that they're, you know, safe on campus and taking advantage of counseling services. So that's really helpful. Um, and then it'll go into next semester, you know, what are your classes you have on your schedule? Um, what's the professor, you know, and what are you already planning? You know, what do you already know? You know, this teacher is 
you know, has a lot of tests. So you already know, you know, how you need to prepare. So we use, we yeah. ask students to also send that to their virtual mentor. They can have a conversation and they can keep, you know, using that throughout the semester. Okay. I said I was going to, you know, work out three times a week and uh, am I doing that? So that's what we use the action plan for. I think that is awesome. I love it when we see scholarships mixed with that that wraparound service, that mentoring, or maybe it's only academic, maybe it's all life, but we don't see it too often. But when we do, it's like this wonderful, um, like little place where all the good things meet up together because students don't just need the dollars. They do need that additional support as well. So great work that you're doing, Ashley. I love that. Um, and I would guess that you probably don't have too much trouble with students not submitting um, these things that you are requesting them because they've got relationship built in there. Am I right in that or have I so, um, We still have trouble and so I spend a lot of time texting students and calling students and sometimes I will have to call a parent because um, if some of the larger scholarships with the donors, I mean we have to give them this money if they, you know, they have the mm -hmm. grades, so we have to get them the money. So we just need the forms from them. So at that point, I will pick up and call a parent. Okay, I need you to, you know, follow through. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, I think scholarships and a lot of these works, we, we have a few masters in here. We've got our donors that, you know, require things from us. We've got our students that need our time and attention. And uh, you know, parents folding that one in there too. I mean, there's a lot of people who need things from us as administrators. So that, yeah, that definitely, I can see that being the case. Um, you mentioned texting, uh, that you might text a student. Do you text the student on personal devices or do you use a texting platform? I do. I just text on my Google number. Oh, okay, yeah, and that's such a great option for people that I think um, a lot of funders don't realize is out there for them. So go through Google, you can get a kind of a, a number that is not your personal number to text through or to call through so that you can reach out to students without giving them all your personal cell phone number. And it can be a good halfway point between, um, you know, either not using texting or doing it from your personal cell and investing in a texting platform that allows you to kind of manage this at a much higher level. So there's that in-between place I don't think many people know about. I'm so glad you brought that up. Okay. So we're going to move on. This is the perfect segue to communication. What resources do you use to communicate with your students? Hey, it's Anna Rich again with Youth Foundation. We have a LinkedIn group that is for current students as well as alumni. Um, and that's a way to, we, we do, we have a mailing actually that, you know, we send out once a year and, but then we can post that content online. We also have Twitter and we have LinkedIn. I mean, I'm, um, Instagram, we aren't, it, it, we're not, it's not being utilized as well as it could be. It's one of those things where I've sort of started it, put it on hold while we get in all of our applications and then I'll refocus on it later. But I, I do, I like having that, that LinkedIn group and that is a place for us to put messages and updates and hopefully one day have more of an alumni network um, 
Mm-hmm. Where that really, I mean, we have, because we've been given, the Haddon Scholarship's been given away since 1952. So we've got a lot wow. of alumni. We've got thousands of alumni. So, you know, that's something we would like to, to utilize more down the road, that it's kind of just an inkling of an idea right now. That is really neat. And I love that. I, I haven't seen many programs using LinkedIn, but I think this is brilliant because it's pushing students into that more professional social media space, um, which is nothing but good for them. I mean, it's a place where they can start documenting their resume, start creating their resume, start documenting their professional um, history, but also those um, creating those networks, which we we know as professionals how important networks are, but that's usually pretty new for a student. So yeah, I love that you are pushing okay, them into you. that space. And I'll, and I'll add something that's slightly off topic, but it made me think of when you said it right now in our communication with them and their professional sort of development, which is ultimately where they're going to be heading, we hope, um, is I do try to, in my communication with them, mirror the type of professional communication that is going to be expected of them when they graduate. Because we have them, oh. we have them at this time where they're going from 17, 18, and they're considered kids, and people cut them a lot of slack to 22, and they go, they're going into the professional world. And we are not. I love the mentoring that we just heard about. We're not a mentoring program, but when they email me, they call me, when they and I get something, hey Anna, blah blah blah. I make sure I email them back. I don't chastise them, but I definitely try to mirror a more professional communication style. And I'll say, okay, this is Mrs. Rich, and this is you know, mm-hmm. and in trying to do little steps. And I think I've mentioned on a call before, uh, one of our talks before. You know, when the parent, when I hear from a parent saying thank you so much. I've copied your student. I look forward to hearing from them. So this, whatever, however little or much communication we have with our students, each interaction is an opportunity to help them get from point A to point B, I think. I think that is, yeah, great advice. I mean, I think many administrators struggle with, you know, do you come in at their level so they feel comfortable with you and they'll talk to you? Or do you keep it very professional? And I think that this is, you know, you can be friendly and professional. Like there, there is that mix of both worlds. And so I think you're, you're hitting that right, right on with what you're saying. You might not chastise them, might not tell them, hey, you're doing this incorrectly, but you're going to model that good professional behavior. So that's, I love that. I think that's great. Great. Thank you. Okay. Well, let's pop up some questions that might, might uh, stimulate that conversation. So we talked a little bit about strategies, kind of what your strategies are for communication. Um, How do you use that information that students communicate with you? So this could be um, kind of different from the documentation and how you might use that. Um, Maybe this is more of a soft communication. So a student talking about um, if they are struggling at school or if they reach out to you for to defer their scholarship um, or they're dropping out or they're low on credits all these different things that students come back to us with how do you use that information Um, is it strictly to determine whether they are still eligible are you connecting them with services Um, and what's your take on that 
And then also, where do you experience communication breakdown? Have you noticed any trends on a particular thing that you are asking for or need from them and they're non-responsive? I'm really interested when I hear other people talk, talk about and I, the uh, other um, person, I think in DC, saying helping com um, connect students with services. We do not do that. And, but that's something I've um, struggled with. For instance, we had a student last year whose GPA was below um, what was required. She did get renewed, but I asked her, I just, could you follow up? Let me know what's going on. And I felt like it was a really tough balance because I wanted to be of service. You don't want to just cut someone off at the same time. I didn't want to step in and sort of halfway be a mentor and not do a good job of it and then feel like I've, I've let her down or I've opened up our organization to some type of liability. And that's probably, I, have, I went to law school, maybe it's my legal background where I feel like if I, yeah. I start to step in and say, oh, well, have you had depression or have you had this? But then I don't really do a good job or I'm not a professional or I don't know what I'm doing. I've opened the door to discussing deeper issues that I'm not really qualified to handle and then if anything bad happens from there, what, what harm have I done the student? What harm have I done the foundation? What harm have I done myself? So I'm really interested to hear how other people sort of deal with these students that they see are in trouble, they, but you want to help, but yet maybe you're not entirely qualified to help. Right. Yeah. I think that that can be, you know, a real issue for a lot of scholarship administrators because, you know, your students see you as a part of their network if they're thinking in those terms. And if they're not, they might not say that, but that is you're, you're someone who provides a bit of a safety net for them. And they can walk in and tell you all sorts of things that you may or may not be qualified to handle on your own. So I know there are some folks on the line who have really great partnerships in their communities. I think that's one really interesting way to handle it um, that can be really helpful. So if that is you, please raise your hand. We wanna hear about this. Um, and then also, I know we have a, a couple of organizations um, like Ashley, we heard from you at College Bound that mentoring and dealing with these kind of other deeper issues is part of what you do. So um, we'd love to hear from you too as well about, you know, do you partner with other funding agencies to provide these types of services? So anybody's got any kind of partnership or other ideas on this, we'd love to hear from them. I do know that, and I'm, I'm going to call this out even though um, it was said in one of the chats, I know Mike DeHilster from Pasadena Community Foundation was having some trouble with his mic um, to be able can to you, share this out. They've got, ah, now I, now I can. Aha. Yes, I, I went to my cell phone, which was a brilliant move on my part. So, uh, <laughs> but I think I know what they're, <laughs> What, at least what you're going to be getting at and uh, our PCF scholars program um, that you mm -hmm. have a little bit for reporting. But what I want to say about that in terms of partner organizations, you know, this PCF scholars um, uh, that the Pasadena Computing Foundation is doing, we are partnering not only with the Pas Pasadena City College Foundation and their supports and, and the college's support program, this is called Pathways, but we're, we're working with a, an organization called College Access Plan. Um, and this is to support students that are probably not going to go to a four-year college without going to a two-year first. 
uh, right out of PUSD um, and then into PCC, and they need a lot of support. It is a, a, a cohort that is at risk of not finishing. And uh, so we essentially outsourced um, that support. We, you know, we conceived of the program, we brought in the partners, and we're in our pilot year and we're learning a lot of interesting things. Uh, but in order to support, you know, you know, there's no GPA requirements. So these aren't 3.2, 3.5, 4.0 students, and it's just a different kind of support. So we have to get creative and do different things. That's that's awesome. And having that that network um, there built, creating those partnerships before ever, you know, doing those types of scholarships. I mean, that just kind of worked out so well for you all. And I think it's such a good format. Um, I think many foundations have been doing scholarships for a long time, but maybe don't have those partnerships in place. So that can be just such a valuable thing to um, to bring on. Now, I see that we are just about at our time and we didn't even touch our third topic, but I am kind of okay with that because we had some really great conversation and um, I think learned a lot uh, from each other. We will see you all at the next uh, Coffee Talk. Bye, everyone. So that was our conversation. We're going to keep bringing you conversations like this following the Coffee Talks that we host online. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. You can look for announcements on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn by following Foundin Technologies. And we want to hear from you. Unlike a lot of podcasts out there, you can participate yourself by registering for one of our Coffee Talk webinars. You can register for a webinar or access additional resources by clicking on the links in the episode notes. So from everyone at Founded Technologies, thanks for listening. We hope you found it helpful, and we can't wait to connect with you again on our next Coffee Talk 